Well, amen and hallelujah, and I agree with that. Well, good morning, church family. I am so grateful that you are uh, with us now, our third Sunday of uh, meeting in a manner and in a method that we uh, would not have expected or anticipated, but I am grateful that we can meet uh, together on this Resurrection Day and uh, worship the Lord together. Obviously, one of the drawbacks of meeting like this is that it's not quite as personal uh, as we are accustomed to or, or we would prefer. So in order to bridge the gap a little bit, I just want to welcome a few people. I want to welcome Scott to the service because I know when I say that, about half the men in our church have now been personally welcomed and then we're going to cover the other half by saying I want to welcome the joiners to the service uh, today. Now, in all seriousness, I really do wish that you were here. I spent some time this morning wishing that it were a normal Sunday. I wish this morning I drove here to the church and parked in my usual spot and uh, walked in there at the back of the building. And there I would see Phil, the hardest working and servingest man that I know, hard at work setting everything up. I'd have loved to walk into the fellowship hall and talk to Jeff or Carl or catch up in the foyer with whoever was the greeter on the greeter team this morning, whether that was Steve and Denise or Leon and Jackie or John and Phyllis. I so wish this morning I could walk by the children's Sunday school rooms and see and hear all the activity and energy that children bring to our church family. I do wish I would have walked upstairs this morning and walked by the youth room and seen our teenagers, our students in there. And uh, often when I walk by there, I pray, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you grab hold of their hearts fully and uh, that uh, they see Christ for who he is and worship him for who he is and leverage their lives for his glory in their generation. I wish I would see a Roscoe handing out the Sunday school folders or Ted bringing in the donuts and these men who week after week after week, faithfully serve our church. Wish I could have greeted the older saints as they arrived to Sunday school on time, I might add. Wish I could have heard the praise team practicing or hear the choir getting ready. I'll tell you who I really miss. I wish I could have seen you this morning, Jody, because you always remind me of eternity. And I wish I could have seen you, Joshua, because you are teaching me over and over and over again how glorious it is to be an orphan adopted by grace and welcomed into the Lord's family. I really do wish that you all were here. Uh, I, I suppose the only silver lining is that I did set the thermostats the way that I wanted them uh, this morning there is such a part of me that wishes it were a normal Sunday, but it's not. It's not a normal Sunday. And my hope is, my prayer is, that that might just make room for God to do something among us that is not normal. There's so much in my heart, <laughs> and you probably have this in your heart too, that just wants things to get back to normal. One of the things that I've been thinking on a lot this week is a prayer that some of you are going to be familiar with. It was written long ago uh, among a group of people called the Puritans. 
There's a collection of their prayers, and, and these are people who went through great adversity while they held steadfastly to the hope of Christ. Uh, and in a collection of prayers, it's called the Valley of Vision. It's not a normal season for us, and so again, in, an, in, in a, days that aren't normal, I think God wants to do something uh, glorious. And here's what this prayer book, the Valley of Vision, begins with, this prayer where they say, O Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths, but I see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. This is such a wise prayer that they prayed. Listen to it. It says, let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up. That to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to have all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. And that the valley is the place of vision. I sincerely believe this, that we are going to learn more about God in the valley than we could have learned about him had we not gone through the valley. Now, here's our hope, the hope for believers in Jesus. The valley is never, ever, ever the destination. But it is a place we go through in order to learn something about ourselves. Have you learned something about yourself this week? A little bit more about your fragility, <laughs> a little bit more about your lack of self-sufficiency. We learn something about ourselves, and then we also learn something about the Lord. Hey, friends, God is not playing games with us. He's not playing some game with us. He's a good shepherd who's going to teach us, is teaching, and will teach us some things about himself. So that when you are back on the mountaintop, whenever that may be, For many of us, that'll be actually when we are in glory with him forever. The glories will be all the sweeter for what you learned about him in the valley. The valley may not be what we want, but it is what we need. So let's pray together, and then we're going to praise the Lord together in singing. Father, I don't know that there's anybody among us as your people that would have chosen this to do things this way, but here we are, and I confess to you that uh, I trust you, and I want to trust you all the more. I'm clinging to you, but I want to cling to you all the more. I'm learning more and more about what the disciples said. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe in the valley we can see more clearly that you are our cornerstone. It's in the valley that we can see maybe for uh, the first time in our lives, a really deep way that we need you. We'll be able to see in the valley, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus, that our only hope in life and death is Christ. So as we meet together this way today, I pray in Jesus' name that your grace, your grace would be at work in us in such a way that we don't want to rush and just be done with the valley I want to behold you in the depths 
to behold you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my Oh my. 
defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Let's pray together. Father, um, even though so much has changed, we as your people desire to remain faithful to you, your character, your promises. And during this time in a normal Sunday, it would be our offering. So, Father, I pray that maybe more than ever, we would be offering you our very lives. Lord, I thank you for the privilege it is to love and know a generous God. And in light of you and your generosity, we seek to be a people who help each other, who love each other, bear one another's burdens. And so uh, all the more in this day, give us grace to be a church family where we help each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him o'er and Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace. To trust him more. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord.
Amen. I know thou art with me, and praise God, hallelujah, will be with me to the end. Well, if you have a Bible, uh, I would love for you to join me in Mark chapter 6, verses 53 through 56. That's our passage for this morning. As a church family, we uh, have been studying through the gospel of Mark, and week by week, I'm just so thankful I've always believed that the Word of God is alive and it's active, uh, and uh, week by week, he just demonstrates that more and more. Now, again, when we're together in this place for the preaching of God's Word, I always ask you to stand uh, for the reading of Scripture, and I am going to ask you to do that wherever you happen to be right now, if you're on your couch or sofa uh, at church uh, over time, everybody's kind of sits in the same place, and maybe three weeks in, you've got your seat, and that's your spot, and if so, uh, great, but even where, wherever you might be, you stand. And first thing I want you to do, we're going to read through this whole passage together. But if you've got your Bible, they're open to Mark chapter 6, verses 53 through 56. I want you to let your eye go down to the end of verse 56. And I want you to read the word that it says there. You see it? If you see it, I want you to say it out loud where you are. It's well is what God does. He makes us well. Let's begin here in verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret, 
and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus that he can make the sick well. Whether they're in the cities or the villages or the countryside, you have power to make people well. So I pray again, just like we did the last time we prayed together as a church family. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name you would eradicate coronavirus from the globe. You have power to do that. I ask for you to do that. I ask you to help us to uh, see things clearly from your word this morning and uh, that our hope in Christ would be affirmed or our false hope in things other than Christ would be exposed and that we would see Jesus, our ever-present help in time of need. pray this in his name. Amen. Well, uh, you may be like me in reading in this particular passage. I, I have to admit, if uh, this were the passage for our study, say, three or four Sundays ago, I'm not sure that I would have read it uh, quite the same. That's not a deficiency in the Scripture. That's a deficiency in me. Uh, but the events as they have unfolded for us to see Jesus in the midst of great sickness uh, work with great compassion and power is a wonderful uh, anchor for my soul uh, this morning. Uh, it's not the main point, but I want you to see there in verse 53, it says, When they had crossed over. Now, you might remember from our study last week that the disciples had been in the storm, and that's when Jesus walked on the water, got in the boat with them, and uh, all of us need to hear this again. In the midst of the storm, he said to them, do not be afraid. Take heart. It is I. So I just want to encourage you uh, from verse 53, you are going to cross over. You're going to cross over. We're going to cross over together that storms are temporary. They might be uh, difficult, they might be tough, but they are temporary. And when they get over to the other side there as they were traveling, it says they came to land at Gennesaret. It's probably helpful for you to know that Gennesaret was a densely populated region there in Galilee. A whole lot more people lived closer and more huddled up together than other regions in Galilee. And we find that many people in that region were sick. The needs are significant and therefore the level of desperation is high as we study through the gospel of mark we see that there are some places that jesus travels to and arrives in that he's longed for waited for and they flock to him other times he's rejected and asked to leave what is the uh, difference between the two Well, the difference, I believe, as we study through the Gospel of Mark, and we will find this true today, is their longing for Jesus is directly connected to their understanding of having needs that are beyond the scope of their own ability to satisfy. It says they immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people 
to him. Now again, can we relate to this? Can we relate to this as we've seen scenes from China and Italy and uh, Spain and all over the globe in our own country, in New York City and Chicago and New Orleans and increasingly more and more places that oftentimes we open up the Bible and we say, well, that was true of them then, but things are so much different now. And I would just simply ask you the question, are things so different now? We can relate to the description put forth. For all, for all of our wonderful medical advances that we are so grateful for, we can relate well this morning to the people living in Gennesaret. It's true of our hearts that we long for and look for Jesus on difficult days in ways we do not look for him on calm and clear days. Now the reality is, Our need for Jesus is always, and it's constant. We just are more aware of our need for him in seasons like this. The truth of the matter is that Jesus is always our only hope in life and death. But we see it more clearly on the difficult days. Now that makes the day of difficulty the day of opportunity gives us an opportunity to see how unreliable our health is, how unreliable our wealth is, how unreliable our self-sufficiency is. It's a day of anxiety, isn't it? Some of you this week have had, many of us this week have had sleepless nights, multiple, two or three, or maybe every night this week. So this is not conceptual for you this morning. You're experiencing it. And here's one of the truths I've been clinging to all week from studying this passage. That Jesus draws near to the sick and the sinful and the hurting and the hope deprived. Maybe a way that we would understand it well today is that in a day of difficulty, we see that Jesus is essential. And friends, God is not playing games with us right now. We're learning again in this fallen world how essential the help and the presence of Jesus is. Everything in life that can be shaken will be shaken. But when those things get shaken, we also are able to see Jesus unshakable and unshaken. Now we desperately, we desperately, friends, we desperately need to be a people who are humble in turning to the Lord and confessing we need him. May it be so among God's people that in this season we are turning to him and saying we need him. This issue that we face globally is greater than us. We see how essential he is. When Jesus arrives in Gennesaret, when he arrives in Gennesaret, people are not indifferent to him. People are not skeptical about him. People are not anything other than desperate for him. You see this, verse 54, they got, when they got out of the boat, it's instantaneous. The people immediately recognized him, and they ran about the whole region. They're going everywhere they can and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. Why are, those, why are they so desperate for him? Because they're so sick. 
A prosperous people, friends, a prosperous people do not seek Jesus. A healthy people do not seek Jesus. A, 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 a prosperous and a healthy people don't actually exist. They're simply deceived into thinking that they are. But God is not playing a game with us. We need to know this when we talk about Jesus being essential, drawing near to us to correct us and help us see this. It's not as if God were some uh, pouting toddler, right? Arms folded, lips stuck out, saying, y'all should have known better. No, we need to see that Jesus, it's as if he's brought a rescue boat nearby and we are flailing in the sea. We look to him and see that he's drawn near because we cannot rescue ourselves, only he can. We should see from the scripture that when God opens up our eyes to how much we need him simultaneously, he reveals that he is sufficient for the need. God never opens up our eyes to our need of him without simultaneously opening up our eyes to the provision that he does put forth for us in Jesus. Here's what I love about this passage. The one who walks on the water and could have just passed Gennesaret right on by. He doesn't need the boat. He doesn't need Gennesaret, the king of kings. He draws near. He steps on the shore, and he walks right into it. He doesn't distance himself from the need. In the midst of great physical and spiritual need, Jesus doesn't walk away. He walks into. And you need to know this. You need to know this about Jesus He's not drifting away from you. He's drawing near to you. I love what it says. It says he, they moored to the shore. That means they put their boat in place. They're not passing by. They're walking in. Specifically, Jesus intends to stay until the job is done. There's all sorts of ways, aren't there, that uh, if we're talking to someone or visiting with somebody that we communicate to them that uh, we're not going to stay very long. It's kind of a casual visit. We're just passing by. Maybe it's uh, you, you keep your keys out, right? Or you kind of jingle your keys in your pocket. Keep the car door open or you keep the engine running. Or you keep kind of glancing at your watch. I think we actually do this to the Lord all the time. Just want to make a quick pickup of a blessing and be on our way. And one of the glorious things that's happening right now is there's been a wonderful pause button put on so many things. And part of it, I believe, is a pause button so that we will turn to Jesus. See, when Jesus, he arrives in Gennesaret, he's not in a rush. <clears throat> Holiness is never in a hurry. Now, there are things that are wrong and sick in us that only the ongoing, careful, patient, compassionate, and powerful presence of God can remedy. Be encouraged, my friends. Jesus does not deal with us from a distance. He's drawn near. One of the books I read this week put it this way. Take note not only of the mercies of God, but the God in the mercies. Not everyone 
Not everyone may recognize Jesus for who he really is. But I can assure you of this, Jesus recognizes you for who you really are. He knows your heart. He knows what really rules and reigns in you. He knows the pain that you've experienced perhaps this week when some idols were exposed, some false hopes were made clear. He knows what your deepest hopes are. He knows what your anxieties are. He knows what your angers are. He knows what causes you to be impatient or frustrated or nervous. He knows you from the inside. And he knows this is true of us. It's our fighter verse from this week. If you thought on it, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's still at work among the sons of disobedience. We were all called up in that. Now, I started on quote of the scripture. That's a commentary on it. That's the direction we were all headed. Our greatest sickness, you might say, is spiritually genetic. The great physician, he knows your secret sins. He knows the motivations of your heart. He knows what you covet or what you're jealous of. And he has drawn near to you. He loves you. And he promises He can do something that no one else can do. No one else can truly, permanently, and eternally make you well. Your longing for the presence of Jesus in your life is directly connected to your perception of how sick you really are. I want to demonstrate this because I think this is what the scripture is teaching us. So if you've got your Bible and we're in Mark chapter 6 verses 53 through 56, I want you to just zoom out and just for a moment I want you to see what comes immediately before this passage and then what comes immediately after this passage. Because one of the things that I believe Mark is demonstrating in this gospel is that we are all sick. Look here in verse 52 immediately preceding it. Mark 6, 52, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So immediately before, and then immediately after in Mark chapter 7, we'll study this in more detail next week, but look here in verse 14. He called the people to him again and said to him, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And look down in verses uh, um, 20 and 23. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceitfulness, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. See, here and all throughout Scripture, but even right here in this section of Mark, God tells us without pause or hesitation that we are all very, very sick. And just as clearly, the Bible tells us the only way we can really be made well. So my first point was simply this, that Jesus draws near to the sick, doesn't stay distant from them, doesn't pass by them. He gets out of the boat and he walks in. 
The second point is this. Jesus and Jesus alone can make us well. It says here, whenever, wherever he came, in villages and cities and countryside, they laid their sick in their marketplaces and implored him, meaning they begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Now, let me just ask it this way. If there were a COVID-19 solution, would we criticize that solution as being too narrow? Would anyone in any place in the world say, are you so narrow-minded to suggest that there's only one vaccine, only one way for this disease to be overcome? Would we say things like, well, that might work well in our culture or in our country, but it would be inappropriate to impose that other places? Well, I suspect if there were, and we pray, (laughs) we pray that there will be a remedy. Do you know what I think our response would be? I think our response would be to recognize it, run to get it, and implore others as to where that remedy could be found. Here's what we're taught all throughout the scripture. It's only one way. There's only one way for us to be healed for what really ails us. You might recall when the angel of death came at the Passover, God told them to put blood over the doorposts. The blood and the blood alone covered them from that curse. You might remember when they were in the Exodus and they were stung by scorpions, God told Moses, I want you to make a bronze serpent. And by looking at that serpent and by looking at that serpent alone, they could be healed. Or when Naaman was sick with leprosy and he sought out Elisha to be made well, Elisha told him to go down to the river and dip yourself three times in the river. And by dipping in the river three times and three times alone, Naaman was made well. Now, if you're sick and you know you're sick, you do not gripe that there is only one remedy. You rejoice that there is a remedy at all. Jesus And Jesus alone can make you well of the, as the scripture says, hardness of heart and the defilement of our hearts. He alone can do that. I love the detail that we're given here when it says they laid in the marketplaces, they laid the sick rather in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. Now, we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark together, and where do they get that? Where do they get that little fact? Where do they get the uh, thought that if I just reach out and touch the fringe of his garment, I will be made well? Well, no doubt they got it from the lady, right? You remember her, the woman who had the issue of bleeding? She was as sick as she could possibly be. She'd gone everywhere. She'd tried everything. The Scripture says that she went to physician after physician after physician, but she didn't get better. She actually got worse, and she used every last dollar and dime she had to be made well but we're told in mark chapter 6 she had suffered much i'm sorry mark chapter 5 verse 25 she had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had she was no better but rather grew worse she heard the reports 
She heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made, here's our word, well. Immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And when his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? He looked down around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. She, uh, you see, she was a reluctant witness, we might say. She just want to get a little healing for herself and, uh, and then kind of keep it to herself. And you immediately can see the error of that, can't you? She had heard a report about Jesus, and then she went to Jesus. And did he make her physically well? Yes. Yes, he did. But you also see what he said. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Jesus, in her life, had used physical need to help her see that she had deeper needs than that. And that is no way, shape, or form minimizing the reality of what we are dealing with right now. But may the physical, desperate needs that are going on in the world right now be used for us to see the power of God can work to make us eternally well so this reluctant witness and maybe that would describe you for so much of your life you have been a reluctant witness you've not wanted to share you, you you've been timid <laughs> and may this passage help you overcome your timidity they said if we just touch the fringe of his garment and i believe they learned that from her so may we increase in our gospel witness today. I want to ask you this question. And I want you to allow the scripture to help you answer it. It's a really simple question. But I think it's a really important question. But here's, here's the question. Are you well? Are you well right now? I remember so uh, clearly when I, when I came to understand my need for Jesus. Can I, can I just tell you? <laughs> Up until that moment, I was living under the assumption that I really was well. I thought I was nice. <laughs> I thought I was a good person. And when I realized how desperately I needed Jesus, I have to tell you, it was terribly unsettling. I don't know if this has ever happened to you in your life, but God pulled back the curtain of deception in my heart, and I, for the first time in my life, I saw myself for myself. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, we talk to ourselves all the time, and very frequently we're deceiving ourselves. 
as we talk to ourselves. I really thought I was a good person. But God in his patience and kindness helped me to see that what I really hoped and trusted in was me. I thought I was the person who's always bringing people on the mat to Jesus. But he kindly revealed to me that I was actually the person who needed to be on the mat. I was the person who needed to be made well. The way I've been thinking about it this week was for a while there in my life, I thought the presence of God was helpful, but I did not believe that it was essential. I sort of used the Lord as uh, kind of a part-time worker in my life. Somebody that I would turn to when things were hard. (laughs) But quickly, when maybe things got a little more comfortable, I would just go back to being the king of my own life. Doing what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted. But maybe in the context of what we're talking about today, when I realized that I wasn't as strong or powerful as I thought that I was, do you know where it was? It was in the valley. It was in the valley. Remember what the Puritans say? To be brought low is to be high. The broken heart is is the healed heart. I just want to briefly say how Jesus heals us. Think of it this way. One of the desperate needs we know is in the world right now, we hear about it frequently, is is the need for more uh, protective equipment for those who are on the front lines, right? The need for masks and and gloves and all sorts of things like that to protect the one who is not sick, who is helping the sick, so that they don't become sick. It's a great need. And may the people of God be used in our day to help provide for the need. But here's the interesting thing that the scripture says about Jesus. It's a succinct statement, and I I know I've shared it with you many times, because I think in the scripture it's the most succinct description of what happens at the cross. See, it's at the cross that our hearts can be healed. And, And it says of Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, it's not just that Jesus drew near to the sinful. It's more than that. He doesn't just draw near to us. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never lied. Jesus never lusted. Jesus never had unrighteous anger. Jesus never disobeyed the Father. Well, to use the terminology there in Mark 7, verses 20 through 23, Jesus never came to have evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, or foolishness. None of that was ever in his heart. And he who was completely well took all of our unwellness on himself. He took all of our heart sickness on himself. But not just that, 
in exchange, he gives us his righteousness so that you could be made well. It's what happens at the cross. So friends, again, my encouragement to you, you have to anchor at the cross. Pay attention to what's going on around us. Be involved and engaged in the world, of course. Put others first. Whether you're at the grocery store, if you're at the house, wherever you are, you put others first. And all the while, again and again, I, I'm learning this week. Here's, what I, here's, here's what's been true of me. It's becoming a whole lot more moment by moment that I have to return and set my heart and mind on Jesus. Set my heart and mind on the one who gave himself for me. He who knew no sin became sin, that in him we may become the righteousness of God. So renew your confidence in him today. Renew your hope in him today. If you've never bowed the knee to King Jesus, see what a good and glorious king he is. One of the great uh, tools to uh, helping us keep our confidence and hope in Jesus is, uh, is music. Is a really good song, a song that's theologically accurate, <laughs> and we've sung many of them today, haven't we? Because he lives, cornerstone, Lord, I need you, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. One of the songs, in fact, it might be the most played song uh, in my life this past week, is a song entitled, Christ Our Hope in Life and Death. And in just a moment, I'm going to conclude this sermon, and we're going to go right into the proclaiming of that song. But before it's sung, I, I want to read the lyrics to you. The song begins by asking the question, what is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our confidence that our souls belong to him? Who holds our days within his hand? What comes apart from his command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. Where is his grace and goodness known in our great Redeemer's blood? Who holds our faith when fears arise? Who stands above the stormy trial? Who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ? Unto the grave what shall we sing? Christ he lives, Christ he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, first of all, I thank you for Jesus, and I do pray for the world that we live in, that we will be made physically well. Lord, those who are sick right now, those who are struggling for their next breath, come and bring healing. For those who are grieving over those who have died, Lord, bring hope. Father, we pray for uh, the world physically, that you would make us well. Father, we also recognize it's not easy for us, so in great humility I ask that in the midst of great physical need, you would reveal to us that there are actually great, greater and deeper needs in the soul and in the heart. And I thank you that you are a God who can do both. You are a God who can physically heal and spiritually make us well. 
So may it be so among your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? What holds our days within His hands? What comes apart? from his command and what will keep us till the end the love of Christ in which we stand oh sing hallelujah our home springs eternal oh sing Hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good, God is good. Where is His grace? and goodness known in our great redeemer's blood who holds our faith when fears arise who stands above the stormy trial and who sins waves then bring us nigh unto the shore the rock of Christ. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our home springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess. Christ, our hope in life and death. Unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives, and what reward will heaven bring? everlasting life with him and we will rise to meet the lord then sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast when endless joy when christ is ours forevermore Oh, sing hallelujah, our home springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. 
Church family, we love you, and, uh, and I know that uh, today we've had a few uh, technical glitches and whatnot, so if you hung into the end, I would really uh, appreciate it. It gives us something specific, of course, to, to pray for in the days that are uh, to come. One phrase from our fighter verse for this upcoming week that I want us to pray in light of. This week's fighter verse will pick up where Ephesians 2-3 left off, but God being rich in mercy. Let's pray to, to that God. Father, you're better than we think you are. <laughs> you're better than we know that you are. I pray that uh, as the days go on, for us it is, it is sweeter and sweeter to trust in Jesus. I pray as the days go on that... Uh, Anything other than the cornerstone that is Christ that we're trying to build our lives on are, are cast aside. Lord, I pray that you'd help us more and more to see we really do need Jesus. He is essential to my well-being. Our only hope in life and death is Christ alone. Thank you that storms are temporary and that those who are in Christ Jesus are made well. Thank you for your mercy. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Holds our days within His hands. What comes apart? From his command, and 
one will keep us till the end the love of Christ in which we stand see short mind oh sing hallelujah our home springs eternal oh sing Christ, our hope and life and 